Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out a community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. All right, good to hear that someone's clapping. Wonderful. Okay. Hey, uh, yesterday, and there's another guy that had some coffee. We're not serving coffee, but he got some somewhere. So. Uh, yesterday, uh, believe it or not, was uh, my 17th uh, anniversary, and uh, Kristen and I had a super romantic day of garage sailing and youth soccer that I think would captivate any romantic uh, we're going to get away in a little bit here. Don't worry, guys. But uh, yesterday was not special. We were talking uh, just about our history. Our kids were asking us questions. They're like, Dad, when did you and Mom meet? You know, things, stories we've told them like 10 times, but they don't listen. And so we're telling them these stories again. Uh, but it just got me thinking uh, back over our timeline. And I think I've shared uh, parts of our, our story before, maybe on uh, Sunday mornings. But uh, Kristen and I met uh, the, the summer between our junior and senior year of high school. We were, went on a, a missions trip. And uh, we were on the same team. And uh, for me, it was love at first sight. For her, not so much. Uh, when you're a redhead, you always say that the worst thing that could ever happen is to marry another redhead. So I had that working against me. So uh, we, we met, though. And I, I, I will never forget our first conversation. Uh, we were talking. And I had a list up until that point of like the things that I was looking for in a spouse. Because that's a normal 17-year-old thing to do, right? No. Uh, but apparently, I'm not normal. And so uh, I had this list. And I remember the first time that we were talking. Uh, just doing the mental checkoff, like, yes, 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 she's perfect, right? And in that moment, I made this decision. I'm like, I've got to, I've got to talk to this girl. And so, uh, we kept talking and, uh, I knew that I needed to, to trick her into liking me. And so I spent my whole summer trying to impress her and did not do a very good job of that. So it took a little longer, uh, than I thought. But later on that fall, uh, what was our senior year of high school? We, we started, uh, dating and uh, made things official. And so uh, we actually decided to go to the same college uh, the next fall. Something that I will never let my kids do is think that their high school boyfriend or girlfriend is serious and go to the same college as them. But my life is just a, a roadmap of things they shouldn't do. I don't know how else to say it. So uh, we went off to the same school. Uh, we were dating. And I, I'll never forget soon thereafter, we had this conversation where it's like, hey, this this is going somewhere, right? This is leading to something. You're not going to leave me and dump me, right? And we had that, that conversation where we said, yes, I could definitely see myself uh, marrying you. And so for me, that was great because she was good looking and on the soccer team. And for her, it wasn't as great, but that's just what life gives you sometimes, right? So uh, we dated all through college and uh, we got engaged at the end of our, our junior year, uh, April of 2003. And uh, that next year planned a wedding uh, while we we're in school and saving money and doing all that fun stuff. And so we were married on May 15th of, of 2004. And then we moved uh, to Columbus soon thereafter and began uh, working in, in ministry. And since then, we uh, added a child, bought a home, added another child, bought another home, added some more kids, bought another home, all of that fun stuff. Uh, we're in the timeline now that I like to call the Mark, don't screw this up years, right? So where I'm just like, all right, I've tricked her this long into liking me. We got to keep this going. And so uh, the other day, she, we were talking about goals and Kristen was like, what would be your goals for the rest of our life? And I was like, I don't know, to be married 50 years and meet our grandkids. And she's like, that's it. And I was like, well, I, I, uh, yeah, like I didn't even know what to say. Right. But I, 
I, uh, I, I sometimes you just don't think of life beyond, you know, that, that first, uh, first couple years. And, and so, um, as I look back over that timeline, it's, it's neat because one thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another, right? You never know if the person that you're meeting, the person that you're talking to could be someone that you would end up dating. You don't know that every person that you date could be someone that you're engaged to. You don't know where that timeline will lead. And I, I don't think that I'm the only person in here who has had a, a timeline unfold in their life, not just uh, in your love life, but maybe in some other ways. Some of you I know are, are working through undergrad. Maybe you just graduated. Some of you have been adding a master's degree, right? There's always that time that you decide where you want to go to college. You apply to go to college. You try to pass your classes. You retake some of those classes, right? But eventually you get to that point where you're like, I did it. I graduated, right? You have to pay for those things too, but, but you work through and you, you graduate. Some people I know in this room are starting businesses. They're starting side hustles. And so you're naming that thing. You're building social media profiles. You're, you're gathering your clientele. And in some way you're working through a timeline. And what I love about a timeline is that one thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. We've been uh, going through this uh, series in the book of Romans for the last six weeks, just kind of a quick flight through the book of Romans. And I love uh, that, that as Paul wrote this book, he, he kind of establishes a foundation right from the get-go. And his purpose in writing this book was to say to this church in Rome that, that they should be anchored in the gospel. He was calling them to holiness and calling them to, to really understanding what it means to, to walk with Jesus. And so as we started this series, we've kind of walked this timeline and this progression where one thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another, where one thing builds on another thing. And then it means that this other door opens. And as you process, you can add something to the list. And so I want to invite you, if you've got a Bible tonight, we want to be in Romans chapter 12 to kind of close out our time in this book. We'll talk here in a little bit about this timeline and progression again, but we're going to be in Romans chapter 12 verses 1 to eight, Romans chapter 12, verses one to eight. And you'll see that uh, this is kind of the exclamation point of this book, uh, kind of the time that Paul anchors and, and really drives home what he's been building on in this timeline of this letter. It says this, I'm going to be reading in the New Living Translation, Romans chapter 12, verses one to eight. It says this, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. I love 
the way that, that this passage begins, because Paul is alluding, as I mentioned, to that timeline of previous chapters and the things that he has been building when he starts with these magical words and says this, and so. It's like, and what? So what? And so I want to take us back to some things that we've revisited in previous weeks. The first week of this series, we were in Romans chapter three, and we talked about the fact that we're all under sin and we're all affected by sin. It's part of the picture, and we have to decide what that means for us and what we're going to do about it. Our second week, we're in Romans chapter five, and we said, because of what Jesus has done, our faith in Jesus can bring us joy. In spite of our sin, in spite of our condition, Week three, we were in Romans six, and we said that Jesus gives us the knowledge and power to not be controlled by sin. Week four, we went to Romans eight and said that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And last week, we were in Romans 10, and we said that the gospel is simple, the gospel is secure, and the gospel sends us. And so Paul is is looking backwards to all of these things. He's referring to all of these things. He's saying, yes, sin is present in your lives, and sin is part of the story. But God sent his one and only son, Jesus, who you can have a relationship with, who can change your future. You can have joy in him. You can have a relationship with him. You can work through your present sufferings. You can walk with him, and you can know that you are sent to have impact in my name because of the gospel. And then he says these words, and so. So like I said, this is the exclamation point. This is the final song. He says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. If you're a note taker, write this down. I think this is important and the thing that we can be urged to and to do out of the gospel. It's this, it's number one, offer your body as a living sacrifice. What does it look like to honor God with your life? What does it look like to serve God with your life? Because you've given your life to Jesus, because you understand the gospel, because you're walking with him, because you want to be sent, because you want to be on mission, what does that look like? And he says this, offer your body as a living sacrifice. In light of everything I've told you, in light of everything you know, in light of everything you've seen, Offer your body. And I think when we hear that, we probably think like, offer your body. Am I supposed to like throw myself into a volcano or what does that look like? And so I want you to know that I think a, a better translation would be this. Offer your everything. What does it mean to offer your everything? We can go back to this sentence and, and, and basically look at these words one at a time. We're told that we should offer our everything as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice kind of doesn't make sense because although I hope no one in here has ever had to make a sacrifice, it would have been very common to this audience. They would have understood that animals would have been set apart from a certain time in their life. They would have been headed toward being a sacrifice. They would have been selected to be a sacrifice. They would have been taken to the temple and they would have been put to death and sacrificed to honor God. And so to be a living sacrifice is a weird thing because sacrifices by nature are dead. They're given. We're told to be different. The way that we can orient our lives toward Jesus, the way that we can serve him, the way that we can honor him is not a one-time thing. It's not just something where you say, oh yeah, when I was little, I prayed this prayer. I gave my life to Jesus and now I'm good. I don't ever think about it again. No, it's a living ongoing thing where we have to daily, hourly, yearly, monthly say, Jesus, my attention is on you and I'm focused on you. And so we're told to be a living, 
ongoing, nonstop sacrifice. And the word sacrifice is an interesting choice because it's, it's got a final chapter, right? It's got a finality to it that just says like, yeah, you don't get a sacrifice back. So I love the words that Paul said that he was pouring his life out for the gospel. He wasn't expecting to get things back that he did in the name of Jesus. We don't give money thinking like, oh, I'm going to get that back. We don't serve hours thinking like, well, I hope God can make that up some way. No, when we pour our lives out for the gospel in the name of Jesus, it's, it's a finite thing, right? And so we're told to give an ongoing, continual, finite sacrifice that we won't expect to get back. And yet we're told that this sacrifice can be holy. This sacrifice can be set apart. We're not just told that, but these verses tell us this is the way that we should worship God. This is what it means to honor God. Worship is our response. And so knowing that we were separated from God, knowing that we didn't deserve to have a relationship with him, but Jesus came and gave his life on the cross and offers that life to us and offers a relationship with God to us when we trust in his sacrifice and trust in him, we're then offered this this option. How will you respond to that? How will you worship that sacrifice? How will you respond to what God has done? And we're told that offering ourselves as a living and holy sacrifice is truly the way to worship God. Sometimes we don't respond reasonably. As I studied up on what it meant to offer a reasonable response this week or to worship God in the way that he deserves, it talked a lot in every book that I could find about the way that humans respond unreasonable. When I was younger, there was a guy at my church who used to love to take me and my brothers out to eat after church. His name was Jerry. And he'd always say, hey, let me take you guys out. And we're like, all right, Jerry's paying. Let's go, right? He was an older guy. He was single and I was a mooch. And so I would always go and let Jerry pay for my lunch. But Jerry had grown up and kind of was connected to the Great Depression. He hadn't grown up with a a lot of money. And so when he would tip for our meal, Jerry liked to put down like a crisp, clean dollar bill or sometimes... If he was feeling generous, he'd put down two of those bad boys, right? And I would always be the one with a little bit of awareness who would make eye contact with the waitress when she was like, really? And they would look at me like as a 14-year-old, like that was my problem, right? But you could you could see what was unfolding. They were always saying like, hey, I know how much your bill cost, and this $2 is not a reasonable response. And then I would have the shame of, yes, I know, I'm with someone that gave you $2, right? It always felt so terrible, we, we often do the same thing. We think like, yeah, I know I was, I was in a bad spot. I know I was defined by sin. I know I was separated from God and Jesus came and gave his life. And so now in response to that, to say, thank you, Jesus, I'm going to give him a piece of a portion of a little bit of a section of my life. God, I'm going to give you at least two minutes of thought a day. I'm going to think about you every third week. When I have something going on in my life, I might even pray to you. We often offer God an unreasonable response. This passage is saying, no, we should continually, ongoing, be offering our everything, offering our lives 
offering all that we have, but you probably can't help but ask, yeah, okay, but how am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to actually continually offer my body, offer my everything as a living sacrifice? And then verse two comes and smacks us in the face and says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform the way you think. If we have said, I'm living for Jesus, I'm set apart for Jesus, I'm following Jesus, our lives should look different. We shouldn't be copying the behaviors and customs of this world, but we should be transformed in the way that we think and operate, the way that we plan, the way that we act. So if your, look, if your life looks like the lives around you, that should alarm you. If your calendar looks like the calendars of other people that you interact with who would say they don't know Jesus, that should be alarming to you. If your budget and your attitude toward giving and generosity look like everyone else, that should scare you. If your vacation or the way that you party looks like everyone else, that should scare you. If your dating or your approach to sex looks like everyone else, that should scare you. If the apps that you have on your phone look a lot like everyone else, that should scare you. If your approach to marriage or parenting looks like everyone else, that should scare you. If the way that you talk or the way that you talk about others looks like everyone else, that should scare you. If your attitude toward rest and Sabbath looks like everyone else, that should scare you. If your attitude toward hobbies and sports looks like everyone else, you should be alarmed. If your attitude towards alcohol or even recreational drugs looks like everyone else, you should be worried. If your attitude toward church and attendance and community looks like everyone else, it might be a problem. There's an old phrase, if it walks and talks like a duck, it might be a duck. And I know what you're thinking, Mark, ducks don't talk. Trust me, I'm a duck expert, all right? That's, that's what the phrase says, right? Sometimes we like to think, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower, I'm a living sacrifice, I'm set apart, and yet someone would look at our lives and say, like, how so? Nothing's changed, nothing's different. Nothing's different about our lives. And yet we're told to not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but to let God transform the way that we think. How do we let God transform the way that we think? I had a conversation with a dear friend this week that said, yeah, I've just never been able to get my hand around wisdom. I can't, it's just, it's eluded me my whole life. And I just thought, man, I wish, I wish there was a book that you could find God's wisdom in. You could probably read that. Yes, I'm a terrible friend who's very sarcastic, but I didn't say that out loud. I just thought it in my mind in that moment. It is not hard to know how God wants us to think and act and operate. And it is not rocket science to say, Lord, let me know your heart so that I can know your wisdom. You can spend time in God's word and you can spend time around his people studying his word talking about his word. You can spend time in prayer, finding out God's will. And as God's will moves into your life and into your mind and into your heart, it should change the way that you operate. Not that you're going to think, oh, I'm better than these people. I'm different than these people, but it should change the way that you operate as you look at the world around you. If you would say, my life is offered to Jesus, my everything is offered to Jesus, and other people aren't saying that, you should look different. 
So how can you posture yourself to offer your everything to God? Verse three says this, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given you. Just as our bodies have many parts, each part has a special function. So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. What does it look like to be a continual, ongoing, living sacrifice presented to Jesus that's holy and pleasing, that's transformed, that looks different than the world around us? Here's a big key. And you're going to think, really? That's, that's it? This is it? Second thing you can write down, don't think of yourselves better than you really are. In the Garden of Eden, when sin entered this world, the mistake that Adam and Eve made was they thought, hey, we're not doing so bad. God told us to do one thing, and we, we've got some pretty good ideas too. So we're going to do things our way. We're going to do things this way. We're going to do things a little different. And that's where sin takes root because we think like, yeah, I know a way. Yeah, that won't get me in trouble. I'm in a pretty good spot. We always think we're doing better than we are. We always give ourselves a little more credit than we deserve. We're self-righteous and we're lost. So the apostle Paul is saying this to the church in Rome and, and to us, he's saying, don't believe the hype about yourself. Don't join your own fan club and think that you're awesome. Because at our core, apart from Jesus, we're lost in sin, we're anchored in sin, we're separated from God, and we can't do anything that matters. Only in Jesus, through a relationship with Jesus, are we anchored in the gospel. Is he able to walk with us and make our lives into something significant that matters for him? So he's saying, don't think of yourselves better than you really are. Measure yourselves by your faith and commitment. The book of James has always told us that our faith should result in works. We're not saved because of our works. We don't earn salvation or earn faith, but a rooted faith will show fruit. And so you can look at the life of someone who is walking with Jesus, someone who is devoted to Jesus, someone who's continually offering their life and their body and their everything as a living and holy and pleasing sacrifice. And you could say, I can see their faith. You don't want to get arrogant about that. You don't want to suddenly puff up your chest and say, oh, I'm awesome. And yet you can look at the life of a faithful, committed person and you can say, I see fruit in their life. I see the work of the Holy Spirit. I see the fruit of the Spirit. So don't think of yourself as better than you really are. Measure your faith and commitment. Because when you are faithful to God's word, when you are faithful to grow his church, when you are faithful to serve, when you are faithful to use your gifts and you are committed, you don't have to defend yourself because people will see your heart and they will see your motives and they will see you continually offering your everything. You might say, all right, so I'm offering my heart. I'm offering my everything. I'm faithful. I'm committed. How do I, how do, I do that? I love that the way Paul writes this, I've always kind of considered myself a dummy and it's kind of like walking with Jesus for dummies because as you ask these questions, you just say like, oh, okay, that's a good idea. He says in verse six, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. 
If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. What does it look like to offer our heart, our everything, our life, to be faithful and committed? It's this simple. Use whatever gift you have for God. Whatever gift you have. We always like to overlook our gifts and to minimize our gifts and to downplay our gifts. But there are people in this room with gifts. Everyone in this room has gifts that they can honor God with. This is not an exhaustive list, but it's just a list. If you're someone that can encourage people, do it. If you're someone that's musical, use that. If you're someone who can teach, use that. If you like to work with kids, some people hate kids. So please use your gift, right? If you're someone that's good with numbers, use that gift. If you have a home and you can invite people into your home and encourage them, be hospitable. Whatever gift God has given you, you can use to honor him. There isn't a a gift that can't be given to God and be used to encourage others. And so this is saying, use your schedule, use your home, use your money, use your Kids in some way. You can do ministry with your kids, believe it or not. People don't like me, but they like my kids. And so you can invite people over and then just let your kids be cute, right? Use your car, use your job, use your influence, use your athletic ability. How do I, how do, I do that? Just do it. We know when we're operating in our gifting and we know when we're in our wheelhouse and it may not always be comfortable We may be tired. We might not want to do that, but we're able to use our gifts to encourage others to do things in the name of Jesus. So do what you can. Give what you can. Offer yourself. Offer your talent. Offer your platform. Offer your awareness. Offer your passion. Offer your gifting. Here's our big idea this morning, this evening. A living sacrifice humbly offers every corner of their gifted life. If we're going to say, God, you have my everything, we have to be a living sacrifice. To be a living sacrifice, we have to continually say, Jesus, I'm choosing to serve you with who I am and what I am today. And to do that, we can't just say, well, I don't have anything to give you, God, I'm sorry. Because I think that we can look around when we have the right attitude and say, Lord, you've blessed me in this way. Lord, you've blessed me in this way. God, you've given me this ability and that can encourage someone else. And so I'm going to give that to you. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. It's not a one-time thing. It's a day in, day out decision and it's the right decision. And this should be something that we grow in. We should be able to say, Lord, I want to offer myself to you in new ways. There are ways, things that I've withheld from you in the past. I now see that I can glorify you in this way. And so let yourself be stretched in the way that you offer yourself to God. I've talked to people at Movement Church that have hidden their ability to be musical for a long time. And finally they said, all right, God's been telling me I should do this. I'm going to, I'm going to play. I've talked to people who have said, yeah, I've thought for a couple years I should, I should be back there in movement. Kids, you don't know this, but my degree's in early childhood education, but I, I, my, own, my own kids overwhelm me. There are ways and moments and times that we withhold our lives and our platforms and our gifts from God. And Paul's saying, because of what the gospel has done in your life, 
because of what the gospel has done in your heart, because of the way you're anchored in that, and because you want to honor God, continually, sacrificially, give your platform, give your everything, give your gifts to God as an offering and as a response. I'm going to come back up in a moment and we want to talk about where we are as a church right now and some things that we think God has put before us in this next year. But I want us to think through this concept. Is your life a continual living sacrifice that you're not looking to save a little bit for yourself or to get some back later? Are you pouring your life out for the gospel? Are you giving your gifts and are you giving every part of yourself and every part of your life? Let me pray. God, thank you so much. We can be together as a church, Lord, after some time away. It's not something that we take light. And God, we want to just ask that you will work in our hearts as we respond to you, as we sing to you, as we worship. God, we want to ask that you'll do business and help us to just take inventory, Lord. Are we continually offering ourselves to you? Are we running after you? Are we seeking you in light of what Jesus did on the cross, in light of the gospel in our hearts and in our lives? God, help us to know how to respond. Help us to know why we're responding. Help us to worship you in the way that we think, in the way that we act, in the way that we live, even in the way that we sing to you now, Lord. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.